This week, uh, we start the series that we'll be working through over the next couple of months as we start our summer in the Psalms. Psalms is a fantastic book. Many of the Psalms, which are largely poems or songs, were written by David, King David. We may know him from many stories in the Bible. But there are quite a few other artists as well. In this collection of art, we see the heart of man exposed. There are times when the author of the psalm is happy, encouraged, and praising God. There are psalms of lament for when things are going wrong. Some psalms are a cry for help. Some are known as imprecatory, for the writer is asking God to smite their enemies. The book of Psalms is a tapestry of human emotion, insecurity, fear, shame, hope, joy, love, excitement, pain, hurt, loss, anger at God and at man. The wide range of emotions are expressed in the book of Psalms, which is awesome because we experience a wide range of emotion, don't we? And sometimes we have a hard time figuring out how to express those emotions, those frustrations, those joys and those pains, but the book of Psalms opens the door and guides us. It encourages us in expression. But at the end of the day, the Psalms always land with God on the throne and his majesty being praised. This summer, as we seek to do the same, we will journey through emotions with the authors of a few of the Psalms. We will always end with praise to our God. We're going to start this series Near the, the beginning of the book, it's a big book. It's typically the book, like, if you just split your Bible in half, like, that's typically the book that you're going to land on, unless you're not very good at figuring out where halfway is. But that's, like, that's on you. But we're going to start with, uh, with Psalm 12. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to flip to that passage now. If you do not have your Bible with you, there should be one on the back of the pew in front of you. Though, if you prefer, the words will be on the screens beside me. If you're able, I encourage you to stand as we read the word of the Lord this morning. Psalm 12. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all the flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan. I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever on every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. My final year in seminary, the New York Giants played the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota, and the stadium is only a few hours from where we were going to school. One of my good friends who was attending seminary with me is a big Giants fan, so we went to the game with another friend of ours who's a Vikings fan. 
U.S. Bank Stadium, where the Vikings play, is, is beautiful, man. It's huge. The, the layout is great, and that place is loud. They have this huge horn that they blow during the pregame and, like, after touchdowns or something. But when that sucker goes off, like, you can feel it in your bones. Like, it gets hard to breathe with the sound waves just, just hitting you. There are times uh, during breaks or when the crowd is trying to ramp up the team where the whole stadium does this, like, clap to the beat of a drum that, that speeds up over time until the whole place is just clapping together. And it's, it's kind of intimidating. Like, it's, it's pretty awesome. I, I had a great time. But my friend in his Giants jersey did not. There were a few other Giants fans there sprinkled out throughout the stadium, but there were not too many. He was a blue jersey in a sea of purple. And then the game just wasn't that competitive. The Vikings absolutely demolished the Giants. And I remember what started out as a night of excitement and anticipation for my friend became an evening of frustration. And Minnesotans pride themselves on, on being nice. It's kind of their thing, but as, as the game went on, and especially as we were leaving the stadium, the interactions with many of the fans were anything but nice. The Vikings fans would point and laugh at my friend or walk by and say something obscene about the Giants so that he would hear them. They would tell him how terrible his team was as they walked away laughing and celebrating. I remember putting a little distance between myself and my friend. I, I didn't need any of that particular brand of attention being turned my direction. He's the one that wore the Giants jersey. It, it wasn't my intention to take the fall for him or, or the team that he rooted for. But I felt bad about it afterwards. It's just sports. It's just a game. It's supposed to be fun, but sometimes, sometimes it crosses the line. Even though I was there, even though he was with some, some of his friends who were themselves Vikings friends, my friend felt alone. He was surrounded by people but he was suffering alone. David, as he wrote our psalm this morning, was also surrounded by people, but suffering alone. We don't know exactly when this psalm was written. Some think it was when Saul was pursuing him, spreading lies about who he was and what he was trying to do. Some think it might have been during the time of, of David's son Absalom's rebellion. When his own son was telling lies, spreading rumors, and seeking to destroy his father. We don't know for sure when this psalm was written, but we know that David is struggling. We know that he's hurting. We know that he feels betrayed. We know that he feels alone. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart. They speak. Though we do not know exactly what David is going through when he writes these words, we do, or do we, have the ability to relate to them? Have we ever felt alone in a crowded room? Like we were on the outside, like those around us look on us with bad intentions. Have we ever felt like my friend, where there should have been people that were on our side, but for whatever reason, maybe they were scared, maybe they didn't share your convictions to the degree that you thought they did, maybe they just didn't want to get involved, and, and so they weren't there when you wanted them to be, when you needed them to be. Can we relate? Probably doesn't have anything to do with a sports team. 
Maybe it has to do with work. Maybe it's happened at school. Maybe it's happened in your social circles. Maybe it's been something related to race. Maybe it's involved with your social, socioeconomic status. Maybe it's happened when engaged with your hobbies. Maybe, maybe it's happened at church. Maybe it's happened in a place that was supposed to be safe. You've, you've been around friends. You've been around fellow believers. You've been around people you have engaged with for years. You've worked shoulder to shoulder with them. You've laughed with them. You've cried with them. And, and yet, you feel alone. You feel ostracized. You feel attacked. Maybe it's because of your personality. Maybe it's because of what you think. Maybe it's because of, of what you've done. Maybe it's because of what you stand for. Maybe it's because you are the one with the guts to speak up. Maybe it's because of the people you associate with. Maybe, maybe it's because of what you believe. Ever felt alone in a crowded room? Ever had rumors and lies spread about you? Ever wondered where your friends were? Ever wondered where your help was, where your support was? Ever been hurting and alone and just wanted to feel loved? That's where David finds himself as he writes this psalm. The godly one is gone, states the pen of the poet. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. He is saying that those who are supposed to protect him have disappeared. He, he had a support group built up. He had people that were supposed to be on his side. He went to the game with friends. <laughs> but when the going got rough, they didn't walk with him. They left him. They let him deal with his choices, his decisions, his convictions all on his own. He feels abandoned. He feels betrayed. He feels alone. In his loneliness, he still has to deal with the things that are being said about him. He still has to deal with the lies. Maybe he can't stop them. Maybe he can't cut them off at the store source. So he just has to sit in it, powerless, frustrated, and hurt in the realization that others are saying these terrible, untrue things about him. And man, that's rough. That is, that is hard. It's miserable. And so he calls out to God in hurt, in anger, and in lament. And we can relate to David in that. But as I sat in this text this week, I knew that there was another party in this psalm that I could relate to, as my story about my friend illustrates. There have been times that I have been the godly one who is gone. There are times that I have been the faithful that has vanished. For there are times that I have not been there for my neighbor when they needed me to be. I didn't speak up when I should have. I let them take the fall when I should have been helping them up. I didn't walk beside them during a difficult patch or when rumors were flying or when they were hurting. Instead, I just didn't want to get involved. Maybe I didn't want to become a target. Maybe I was just tired of the conflict. Better to circle back around later when things aren't as volatile, right? Better to keep my head low and eyes averted. Tallest blade grass gets hit by the lawnmower. In my selfishness, in my sinfulness, I have not always been the friend, the neighbor, the husband, the father, the son, the pastor that the Bible calls me to be, that those I love and care about deeply need me to be, demand that I be. There are times, more times than I want to admit, where I have been the faithful that has vanished when I was needed most. How about you? Have you always been there? And you know you should have been. Have you, like me, been the faithful that has vanished? 
That's hard to admit to myself. It's not fun or easy to say out loud, but church, this text calls us to even harder questions, doesn't it? Questions like, in our sinfulness, have there been times that we are the ones with flattering lips and double-minded hearts? Are there times that we have been the ones that spread lies? Have we been the ones saying things that we don't know to be true about our neighbor? Have we talked about things we know we shouldn't? We all have disagreements with others. We all have people in our lives that don't share our convictions. We all have people that we struggle with. There are people we have a hard time respecting. There are people we have a hard time loving. There are people that act in ways that annoy or frustrate us. We don't like what they do or how they think or the beliefs that they hold. How do we treat them? Are we treating them in the ways that God has called us to or do we instead treat them in the ways that our sinful hearts desire to? How does it feel, church, to know that, to recognize that at times we, you and I, have been the reason that someone could read Psalm 12 and relate to David as he expresses his misery? And how are we doing with that? Not a fun question. Because the answers are hard. Church, may those hard answers point us to Jesus Christ. If there's anyone that can relate to David in Psalm 12, it's Jesus. He is the only Son of God sent from paradise, from the utopia of heaven to the brokenness of earth. He was sent to us to live with us and eat with us, to teach us and love us, to heal us and to cast out our demons. And he did all those things. And how did we treat him? We greeted him with double-minded hearts. We did not treat him as he deserved. He was alone in a crowd. Some hated him because of what he taught and how he challenged their authority. They struggled with his convictions. They struggled with the truth. They rebelled against who he is. And then even Jesus' friends betrayed him. One sold him out. Another ran. A third denied even knowing him. The rest were powerless to stop the march he took up the hill to Golgotha, the place of the skull to Calvary. For he was sentenced to death on a cross, and as he carried the wood upon his shoulders, he was also burdened by the sins of the world, your sin, my sin, all sin. And the Bible tells us that as the nails went through his hands and his feet, and as Jesus was lifted up to be mocked and scorned and to die as he hung there on the cross, the Bible tells us that Jesus became sin for us. For every time, for every time that we have been the faithful that have vanished, he took every time that we have been the godly one that is gone. He took every time that we have been the one with flattering lips and a double heart. Jesus took the times that you have failed yourself and your friends and your God. Every time you weren't present when you should have been. Every time you betrayed your faith. Every time you denied what you knew was the right thing to do. Every time you lied. Every time you gossiped, every time you kicked someone while they were down, every time you were not the child of God that you have been called to be, Jesus took all of it. And there on the cross, he suffered for it. The one who knew no sin became the sin of the world, and there on the cross, Jesus died for it. There on the cross, Jesus paid the price that you and I, that we cannot. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we believe in him, when we trust in him, when we have faith in him, we are saved. 
Through faith, we live in the benefits of forgiveness. Through faith, the dirty rags of our sins are taken from us, and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, so that when God looks on us, he does not see the dirty, rotten sinners that we are, but instead he sees Jesus. Through faith, we are brought into the family of God and declared heirs with Christ. Through faith, not through works, but through faith, we are saved. This is our hope. This is the promise that the Christian rests in. And because of our faith, the faith that we have been given, one day we will live forever with God in the utopia of eternity. One day everything will be perfect. No more pain, no more suffering, no more lies, no more gossip. Everything will be exactly as God originally intended it to be. One day everything will be made new and there will be no more hurting, no more tears. And that day's going to be fantastic. For the followers of Christ, for the children of God, that day is going to be the best day ever. And it is going to last forever. We are all well aware that we do not live in that day, not yet. Know the world around us, as we are very conscious of, is a broken place. And though we wait in, tent, in anticipation for the day of the Lord, we still live, we still exist here in our present time. And so I am thankful for passages of Scripture like Psalm 12, 12 where we read of the recognition of some of the hurts we experience in this life. David models for us ways to express our hurting to our God, and he tells us of how God responds. Verse 5 of our text today says, Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Though the day has not yet come that we will be taken from the suffering of this world, our God has not abandoned us to it. He is with us. He cares for us. He is near to the brokenhearted. He hears the groaning of the oppressed. He has not ignored the cries of the poor. He is with his people, though maybe not always in the ways that we want him to be in the moment. We are an Elijah, right? Though that would be kind of fun, sitting on a rock. And when those that seek to do us harm come for us, we don't just get to call down fire and burn them all up. Comforting, as that may seem sometimes. The relief, the ways that our God guards us are not always the ways that we want him to do it, but we, we can take rest in. What we can take comfort in is that our God has promised to guard us. He has promised to be with us. He has promised to never leave us, to never forsake us. And that is a comfort for the oppressed. That is a comfort for those of us that feel alone in a crowded room. It is a comfort for us to know that God does not share the world's opinion of us, but that he loves us and that he will never abandon us, that his words to us are pure, they are perfection, and in them we can trust. And as much of a comfort as that is to the one who is feeling alone and betrayed, how much of a comfort is it to the faithful who has vanished, to the godly one who is gone? How much of a comfort is that to the one who has been the aggressor? to the one with the flattering lips and the double-minded heart. Could there be a bigger comfort? For our God has promised to never give up on us. Though we have failed him, 
Though we have run from him, though we have betrayed him, though we have hurt him and hurt his children through our words and our actions, though we have not been perfectly who he has called us to be, our God has not given up on us. He has not abandoned us. He is continually working on our sinful hearts, shaping us to be more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is active in our world and in our hearts. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord this morning, but I do know that our God has not given up on you. He loves you so much. And God is continually calling you into deeper relationship with him. No matter which character you relate to in our text this morning, the hurting, the vanished, the aggressor, or all of them, rest in the promise that God loves you. That he is present with you, whether it is in comfort or pursuit. Know that he is guarding you, and know that he is calling you to repentance and ready and willing to forgive. For his love is never-ending and his grace is abundant. What a fantastic, gracious, merciful, and loving God we serve. Amen.